Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. It's the sound of a distant train hauling the heart out of the mountain. The sound of a country church full of believers shouting. Lord, there's nothing more powerful than the drug called nostalgia. Sounds like home to me. It's blue jeans at a funeral as you pay your last respect. Sound of mountain hymnals as they're laid to rest sends chills down my spine every time. Sounds like home to me. When the sun sets, you know, just solid to earth people. They're as humble as, as you can be, and they're. They're just good people, and I think when people come across that, because all of them in their own unique way just write songs that are about everyday life, about what everybody else goes through, and people are discovering it, I think it's just, I think it's awesome. Because that's my favorite food. Appalachia Meets World, podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in Eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia Meets World. We're back. It's Will. And Neil, what up, bro? Hey, what's going on? You know, this thing's wild world we live in. Chaos at my house most days. Chaos in the world, man. That's an understatement. I don't know if it's because of the, our access to media now, but it's something crazy going on every day. Yeah, it's instant. You think all this stuff went on when we were kids and we just like didn't know it because we were out in the front yard playing football, waving at people? Man, I've wondered that too. You know, people talk about how it was better back then or it seemed simpler, but I think it might just be that we didn't have access to instant media, you know? We didn't know what was going on outside of our little bubble. They're just definitely magnified now. I guess that's that's a good and a bad thing in a way. I got a little bit of Appalachian news for you. Awesome, what you got? You been keeping up? Uh, a little bit. The ARC actually yesterday had a little informational webinar in regards to the Appalachian Gateway Communities Initiative. So it's the AGCI community that are on the borders of national state parks. And so it's the idea of these towns that have these amazing assets, how they can capitalize on those assets. And so the AGCI is actually put on by the Conservation Fund. It has support from the ARC as well as the National Endowment for the Arts. So yesterday was just an informational session. They put on these three-day workshops for communities to come in and learn about 
how they can capitalize on their amazing assets that the Appalachian region have in regards to outdoor, outdoor tourism, outdoor recreation. Over this course of time, they've done, I think, 12 workshops, given out 46 grants to teams in 51 counties throughout 12 states of Appalachia. October 25th and 27th, they're having their next workshop. You can go to the ARC's website and find out a little bit more. But in October, it's in Lake Janaluska, North Carolina. You travel down those roads, Will, you see that Lake Janaluska signs uh, all over the place. So everybody knows where that is, like the Hot <laughs> Springs area. Everybody. Everybody. Go check it out. I wanted to mention, we talked about it on a previous episode, the concert you went to not too long ago. Oh, yeah, I got one coming back, Will. Yeah, did you see that? Yeah. I announced it, what, two days ago? Yeah, you know I'm going. So you want to tell the listeners who's coming next? Yeah, Will, uh, in September, September the 10th. Just right around the corner. Ice Cube is coming to Corbin, Kentucky. Ice Cube, Cypress Hill, Bone Thugs in Harmony. Boom, 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 boom. I guess Snoop was such a success gonna do? that Ice Cube said, I got to get some of that country money. <laughs> so I'm, the only thing I'm trying to coordinate is football schedule right now. So I'm, I'm looking at those Saturday football games, like seeing if I can, if I can miss a, a, a football game to go check out Ice Cube. Right in the middle of the country music highway or close enough. They said, we'll stop over here. We like our country friends. I saw an article. I don't know if it was an old article that just got reposted, but it was an article on Appalachia Blues by the Smithsonian Folksway magazine. Mm -hmm. Really cool article of how kind of blues or how the Appalachian blues originated throughout the region. And it talked about, you know, the African-American or the black influence throughout the region and how blues in Appalachia have their own. It's a really long article. We'll post it too, but it's a cool article just on the Appalachian blues. I wanted to mention that because have you seen that new movie? When I think about blues, I think about this person, but have you seen that new movie that, I don't know if it's out yet, but Elvis? Yeah, it is out and I have not seen it yet. Uh, I'd like to, speaking of movies, Will, not to derail you, but go ahead, go ahead, finish your thought and then I'll tell you. I was just going to say, Elvis, people think about Graceland, people think about Memphis, but you know where Elvis was born, right? Yeah, man, up in the holler. Tupelo, Mississippi, Lee County, which is right in Appalachia, Mississippi. Yes, sir. Fellow Appalachian. Of course, Elvis was born in Appalachia. I mean, is that even a question? (laughs) I just want to give a shout out there. Elvis, oh brother, new movie. I'd like to see it. Have you been to the movies lately, Will? Man, no. So I have. Guess what I watched? Wait, Top Gun. Yes, sir. You went to you went to see it? Yes, sir. How was it? I hate to say this, but I mean, just the the picture and the graphics and everything is so much better than the first one. You're saying that part two is better than the first one? I've never said that before, but I, I think so. Oh my gosh, that's saying a lot. That's an iconic movie. I know, I was into it, dude. I was into it. It was, uh, I thought it was great. Uh, And just the the flying is so much better in this movie than it was in the previous one, just because we, the advancements in technology. I mean, it was awesome. The fact that you saw it in theater, would you say it was spiritual? Oh, for sure. (laughs) For sure, man. It took me back, for sure. It was it was awesome. You got to go check it out. Yeah, I've been told. I've been told, but uh, not a huge fan of uh, Mr. Cruz. But 
he, he brought me back a little bit, a little nostalgia going on. It, it was it was fantastic. I mentioned the Appalachian Blues. We mentioned Bone Thugs. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned this music because and the country music highway because of all the talent that comes not only out of the country music highway but appalachia in general in regards to music and i only mention that because of the guest that we have on tonight tim gooden yes sir i'll be on the program tonight i can't wait will got some great jams got a great sound to him and i'm looking forward to, to interviewing him learning more about him his new EP came out not too long ago. Son of Appalachia is the name. But when it came out, it actually debuted, I think, at number eight on the Bluegrass Billboard charts, which is pretty amazing for a new artist. Unbelievable to be that high out the gate. But just listen to his songs, like songs like Pills and Poverty or, or the Son of Appalachia song, Hard Times. They all talk about, you know, his growing up, his life there in the App Appalachian Hills. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to having Tim on the show. Yeah, not only hearing about his music, his, his amazing sound, but also just his backstory, where he's from, how he grew up, kind of similar to us. Yes, sir. Just as part of that, I wanted to ask you, Neil, as the question of the week, Ask Anything Friday, I yes, wanted sir. to see I won't say favorite song. I've mentioned my favorite song before, Mountain Music. But I wanted to see if you had a favorite Appalachian song. You know, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. And and this this dude's from Appalachia. Kenny Chesney, man, back where I come from. There you go. Yeah. Is, a, is a classic, and there couldn't be a more proud Appalachian than Kenny. Hey, I, I don't fault you there. I, I think Kenny has kind of turned into the Jimmy Buffett of country music, but his early stuff, back where I came from, I, I'll I mean, give you that. I can guarantee it. If I ever get Kenny on the show and you tell him he's Jimmy Buffett, I will. I will uh, <laughs> come through the. I'll come through the the airways on you hey man that's a compliment everybody likes uh, jimmy buffett right yeah i think so too he is kind of living his best island life nowadays <laughs> back where i come from where i'll be when it's said and done i'm proud as anyone that's where i come from can't wait to get into the conversation with tim gooden yes sir let's do it all right let's go episode we have a special guest a fellow Pinevillian or Bell Countyan Tim Gooden from the hills and hollers of Appalachia he's a former coal miner a self-taught singer songwriter born and raised in southeastern Kentucky his recent self-released album son of Appalachia debuted at number eight on the Billboard bluegrass music charts right next to I think you all may know Sturgill Simpson Tim, we just want to thank you for being part of the show. Thank you for being on tonight. We greatly appreciate it, man. Well, thank you all for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. We'll go ahead and get started. The first question that we usually ask all our guests, 
like most Appalachians, we're big on tradition. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. Usually we have more appetizers than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just a holiday dish? Uh, well, it's not really a holiday dish. My favorite, I guess you would call it an appetizer because they get eat up before the main course is ever served is hickory chickens. Hickory chicken. Time of the year. So we that's what we like to eat. That's our first one, Will. <laughs> we never had that one. I love it. Nice. You not have it? Okay, okay. So nobody from Appalachia said hippie chicken? <laughs> no, no, no. That's You're good the first one, man. I love you it. You know what's funny is we watch these cooking shows on the Food Network, and the morel mushrooms is what they are, but apparently that's like a very high-end food. You know, we pluck them out of the mountains and fry them up, and they're hickory chickens. I mean, that's it's nothing. <laughs> Apparently, that's a very expensive item if you want to go buy it. Uh, depends on where you're at in America, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. Can you just let our listeners know, we, we kind of already mentioned where you're from, but just tell a little bit about your background, where you grew up, how you got into music, maybe? Yeah, uh, well, I was born in Pineville, Kentucky, at Pineville Hospital, and grew up on Highway 92 right there on Greasy Creek my whole life until we basically moved down here to Alabama. So I got 20 plus years thrown highway 92 and then started playing music. I've always enjoyed playing or singing music. And then I've always had a guitar my whole life and I never did learn how to play it until I had my senior year of high school, the summer going into my senior year. And I said, you know what? I've always had a guitar. I want to learn how to play it. So basically that entire summer, I turned myself into a hermit and pretty much stayed in my room until I learned how to play three chords and it was, or four chords, I guess, because it was G, C, E minor, and D. And then I learned how to play It Ain't Easy Being Me by Chris Knight. Took me the whole summer to learn that one song. Because once I learned how to play, then I had to learn how to play and sing at the same time. Right. And so uh, it, it took me a minute. And then from three there, I just, dream, you know, right? you keep learning, keep going. You learn those four chords, you can play about a thousand different songs. So it was, uh, it was a good time to be able to play the songs that I always listen to. I've always heard that. If you could learn, learn those four chords you could you could translate it over to a lot of different songs i just can't learn those four and don't sound real good so <laughs> i'm pretty impressed when people you know if you were just able to teach yourself basically how to play the guitar that's that's pretty impressive that was 2005 so i guess that was really before youtube became a big thing and then so i had a chord book and that's how i taught myself to play i had to buy me a tuner because i didn't know what was in tune or what was out of tune so didn't play much in college, slowed down a lot, and, uh, focused on football and trying to get out of college, basically. Um, when I met my wife was actually, my, my wife, Leanna, girlfriend at the time, well, she was the one that pushed me to start singing in public. That was in 2011. My first gig was in front of 12 or 13 people and 10 of them was family. And I was as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs to play it. <laughs> but, uh, I read you know. somewhere that that was that shaved ice stand in Millersboro, Kentucky. Yeah, RS shaved ice. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> it's, where, it's, it's where the uh, 11 amp stage in Middlesbrough is at now. That's where the shaved ice place was at. You said you, uh, you'd always like to sing. You started singing at an early age. Is there a particular person or a group or a place that influenced you early on to want to sing? Yeah, Victory Missionary Baptist Church in RJ, Kentucky. I went there with my mama Ruby and my papa Boyd. And Mama Ruby always knew I enjoyed singing. She liked to hear me sing. She wanted me to get up in front of the church congregation and sing Amazing Grace. Uh-huh. I was too scared to do it by myself, so she got up there with me and sang it with me, and that's a really good memory I had. I hadn't awesome. thought about it in a while. Yeah, that's pretty neat. How old were you when that happened? Do you remember? Uh, I was probably 11, 10 or 11, something like that. Wow. 
Man, you you have a sound. I, I think it kind of resembles, you know, Jamie Johnson, some Waylon, Travis Tritt. Uh, you just got a unique sound to you. What singers do you draw inspiration from? Lord, we could be with the whole podcast could be on that. I mean, you, you know, Alan Jack, all the 90s male singers, huge fans of all of them. Travis Tripp probably been the biggest one in Alan Jackson. Uh, the Waylon, of course. And then Chris Knight is a big influence on my songwriting. I tell you, that's a funny story. I don't know we can get into it. But um, so when I started writing songs, I was of the mindset it's got to have a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. I thought it had to be that structural. If you listen to my songs, very few of them have a chorus. None of them have a bridge. I don't know if I've ever written a bridge in a song. And that's because I heard an interview or read an interview or watched one. I can't remember now of Chris Knight. And he said, the song can be whatever the hell I want it to be. He said, it's my song. I'll write it how I want to write it. And that if I want to write verse, just straight verses, that's what I write. And that really stuck with me. And that kind of opened my mind up to the freedom of, I'll write this song how I want to. And it just, it came out that way. But yeah, as far as the influences, man, Ralph Stanley's big. I, like, I love a lot of bluegrass. Uh, and I think that comes out in my music quite a bit. I guess I'm a, I'm a mix between 90s country and, and bluegrass music. And that's kind of a, a unique sound that I have. And you want to stand out, you got to be different. So that's where I'm at. We had a previous guest on one of our first guests. He was a documentary filmmaker from the hills of West Virginia. He loves country music, but he said in the 90s in West Virginia, he used to ride around listening to Biggie Smalls because of the struggle. He said, you know, music connects us. Hip hop back in the day was all about the struggle. I feel like a lot of that music coming out of Appalachia, especially country music, is about the struggle. I think a lot of your songs tell a tell a unique story. Just where exactly does your do your song does your songwriting do your songs come from? Is that how you grew up? Where you grew up? I feel like especially yeah. you know pills and poverty is about the substance abuse, which could be in Appalachia or a lot of small towns. But it's again, it's about that struggle. Is that kind of where your music comes from? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not creative enough to just make up stories, so it has to come from life. <laughs> you know, I wish I could be one of those guys that could. <laughs> just think of a tale and, and write it in a song that you know most all of my songs come from either my personal experiences or people that i know and i know their story and i'll tell their story in a song or you know just life where we're from it's a very rich culture and i think that's honest i think that's why you see so many appalachian singer songwriters that are really coming up and getting a lot of notices because it is just a unique culture Basically, you can get a song out of any conversation. Just listen to the way people talk or how they say something or how they approach a situation. All that can be a song. If you pay attention, there's songs everywhere. You just got to be willing to grab a hold of it and write it down. You mentioned YouTube earlier, and I, I know you saw recently American Idol, Noah Thompson, mm -hmm. you know, took it all the way for the win. But I know you've been playing music for a long time, but I've I, I read also that putting your music on TikTok kind of helped at least let people know about your music or, or, you know, get in touch with your music. How has social media played a presence in your career? That's huge. I mean, I wouldn't be doing it right now. Honestly, I pretty much quit music. I, I was just playing at the house, just past time every now and then might write a song, but wasn't really pursuing it at all. And then I guess during the uh, lockdowns and all that, you hear a lot of people talking about TikTok. And I thought, well, hell, I'll, I'll get on there and, and see what it's about. So I downloaded. I had it downloaded for about a month. I thought I was watching some of them singers on there. I was like, 
I, I can sound I sound good like that, I think. I mean, not to be cocky, but I think I could do that. I said, do what I could do. And then uh, I started posting, you know, it done okay. I was just posting covers mainly. And then I posted Pills and Poverty, which wasn't finished when I posted it because I'd written that probably in 2018. And I'd only, I'd only got to the first two verses and it's all I'd had done. And I posted it in like three days. It had 100,000 views. And I was like, well, that's my song. I mean, that's that's the most views I had on any video so far. I'm like, well, that's shoot, awesome. maybe I'm on to something here. So then it, it just kind of lit a fire under me and, and really got me going. And, you know, I was just – this is a good time because we just hit 100,000 followers on TikTok, I think, Tuesday of this week. So, you know, that's it's been about a year and two months since I started on it. So I, I thought that was pretty good, man. I'm, I'm very excited about it. And it's really helped me. I think that is a big part of the reason that – my EP was able to get on the charts when when it got released is because all the people on there took time and spent their money to buy it, and that really means the world to me. So it's been a, it's played a big part in in what I'm trying to do. Well, after this podcast with Will and Neil, I'm sure those hundred thousand <laughs> followers will become hundred thousand one. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I got a question about you know, the places you've played and the, and the things that you've done, you know, I know you recently played at the Mount Laurel Festival, which would be the highlight of my career if, if I had a music career, but uh, what's the coolest place or the biggest place that you've had the opportunity to play at? Uh, see. Well, the, the biggest crowd I ever played in was at the, um, when they were doing that ATV off-road thing up there at uh, Mountain Drive. I think yeah. there was, six or seven thousand people of it at it and then the mountain law festival was a good one i think they said it was between 12 to 1500 people but the the honestly the coolest venue i've got to play at and i didn't even get to make play the main stage was at the law cove like i said when you yeah. had when i started my set there there was like 20 people by the end of the first song there was 300 and it was as quiet you could hear a pin drop while i was singing that was just so cool i had never had that experience so i mean that yeah you talk about a drug on another level, man. That just gives you the bug to keep going even more. And a lot of our listeners have, have probably seen that setting, but you know, we've tried to describe it on previous podcasts. It just it's just a just a beautiful place in the in the middle of uh, Bell County. Mm-hmm. So unless you've seen it before, you really can't appreciate it. But yeah, that would be really cool. Is there a particular place that you've always dreamed of playing that you hope you get the opportunity to? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a couple. The one that that I think can can be done within the next year or two will probably be Renfro Valley. I've always wanted to play Renfro Valley. Yeah. Uh, the bucket list is the Ryman Auditorium. Don't care if it's the Grand Ole Opry or not, just the Ryman Auditorium. If I play that, everything else after that, as far as I'm concerned, is just icing on top of the cake because that, that is the bucket list gig right there. That's an awesome venue. That's one of my favorite. I got two favorites. That's one of them. At, well, Red Rocks too. I mean, that would be a fun place to go. I just think. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you talked about music coming out of Appalachia. How we have that unique culture. We we do this podcast to to dispel some of the misconceptions people have about Appalachia and about Appalachians. You know, we we really try to focus on positive stories. We touch on the issues, just like your music, but we really try to focus on the positivity of Appalachia through your music, through your songwriting, which I, I think you have an amazing way to tell stories through your music. You, your, your voice is one thing, but the way you tell stories is all, is pretty awesome as well. W- what do you hope people get out of your stories? What do you want people to know about Pineville, about Appalachia, about you? When you write something, what do you want people to know? I appreciate that first, but uh, the biggest thing is, you know, I hope that 
from what I'm writing, because it's just about my life and my friends' life and how they, you know, how they live. If they can relate to it, if it, it gives them comfort to know, hey, I'm a, I'm not the only one, or other people struggle too. You know, that's that's the thing that I try to write. I write. A, I want to write something that's substance. I want to write something that. If I'm fortunate enough to be doing this for a living in 20 years, that 20 years from now, the songs that I'm writing now, I still enjoy playing because they have substance behind them and their meaning is still just as good then as it is now. And, you know, the big thing is, you know, Appalachia is full of just good people, you know, and I want people to know that and realize that. And it's a rich history. And I'm very proud to be from Kentucky. Whenever I meet people down here in Alabama and work setting or anything, you know, Within the first three sentences of meeting them, hey, I, yeah, I'm from Kentucky originally. That's always the, you know, I just, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my state. You know, I hate that we had to leave, but it was the right decision for us, I feel like. But I am proud of it. I want other people to to come visit it, check it out, see it, meet the people, because it is just full of good people. And, you know, even even the people that are addicted to drugs, they're not bad people. They just, you know, they've made some bad decisions and it's affected them in a bad way. But, you know, hopefully – Sad Bird Still Sings or uh, Pills and Poverty shines a light on things that, you know, it may cause somebody to get help one of these days or, or may cause somebody to come in from the outside to want to help and, and be able to do the right thing for folks. So uh, it's really hard to say, man, because I just, you know, I just, I just write what I know and I hope people can relate to it. And, and if they do and they enjoy it, then maybe they'll tell five or ten of their friends and then, then we can do it full time. You know, that's, that's the main thing. <laughs> So recently we talked we, briefly a minute ago about the, the winner of American Idol. The guy was doing drywall and his buddy recommended he go try out for American Idol. Is that something you've ever, uh, anybody's ever encouraged you to do? Uh, have you ever done it? And also, as just as a little bit of background, you, you mentioned you moved to Alabama. We, do you mind to tell our listeners uh, why you moved to Alabama? If it was it your job, your wife's job? two years from now when you don't have to work at job anymore, are you going to move back to Kentucky? I was a fourth generation coal miner. So I graduated high school in 06, started college in 06. And then during the summertime, I started working in, on the strip mines. And then I worked part-time on the strip mines till I graduated college and I went full-time. So worked that from, I guess, basically 06 till 2015 when we got laid off. Cause I mean, the industry just took a nosedive can't remember the exact stats now, but I'm going to say we went from like 14,000 miners down to like 3,000 miners in the course of three or four years. You know, we survived a long time, but, you know, 15, it finally got us. And then I was just kind of searching, didn't really know what to do. Bills kept coming, but we didn't have no income. And I actually just wrote a song this past week that pretty much touches on that. Took a little poetic license with it, but, uh, you know, that's a hard reality that a lot of people has faced. You get laid off, you don't have no money, and you, you wonder, kind of wondering what you're supposed to do. And then because there were so many miners that got laid off uh, during that time, Kentucky had pretty much like a re-education thing going. And uh, a lot of folks basically had three options. You could either go get your CDLs, and they would pay for it to get your CDLs, or you could go back to school, and they'd pay for that. Well, I had a degree. I really didn't need to go back to school. A lot of people, they were going sending them to Lyman School. But I worked outside, like, man, I don't – I don't know if I want to climb poles like that. You know, that seems like hard work. I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. cut out for it. My back, I played football in college and has left me with the back of a 75-year-old, so I didn't know if I could handle it. <laughs> so I ended up getting my life insurance license, which I was a job that I enjoy getting to meet people, but as a job I was just absolutely terrible at. I'm not a salesperson at all. So <laughs> I worked, I did stick around for a year and a half in it, and then uh, 
my dad and my middle brother came down here to work at Alabama Santa Gravel as their mechanics. They got them down here, and then me and my wife came down to visit, and we met the boss out there. Well, he found out that I had mining experience and a degree, so he offered me a production manager role down here, and it was more money than I'd ever made. That ain't that ain't saying that's a lot. I'm just saying that's more money than I'd ever made. But, you know, we took that opportunity, and we, we talked on it, thought on it, prayed on it, and it seemed to be the right fit. So we came down here and been down here ever since three different companies later because I tend to move around some, but I'm happy with where I'm at now anyways. And that's how we got here. But then what was the other part of the question? The first part? American Idol. Have you ever? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm too old for American Idol. I think, I think the cutoff age is, I want to say 28, but I have done the voice. I went to the voice, uh, in 2012, 13, something like that. I made it through. So there's like, four rounds of auditions so you got the open call then you got the call back and then if you make it past the call back then i think they fly you out to hollywood to meet with the producers out there then if you make it past that then you get to do the blind auditions on the show so we went and we done that we made it past the open calls and then we went to the call back and we made it past that and then it was a waiting game they said you'll either get a phone call or a letter within the next month if you get a phone call, you'll be coming out to Hollywood to, you know, do some more screen testing and all that. And I didn't make it to that point. I was like, well, you know, it's probably for the best. Then I was excited for a month because I didn't know one way or the other. But it's a way. <laughs> Turn around. Since we've been in Alabama, we did it again. Same thing. Made it past the open calls, made it past the call back, and then just it kind of fluttered out. But, I, you know, hindsight's 2020. I'm starting to think that. Maybe that ain't our path to get to where we want to be. Maybe what we're doing now is our path. Everything happens the way it's supposed to. I'm a firm believer. Didn't break my heart. It is what it is. I'll just do it the new era, old-fashioned way. And the new era being social media and the old-fashioned way, getting out and just playing gigs and meeting people and, and having a good time. I like it. Neil and I, you know, we, you, we've always known about Appalachian music, obviously coming from, from where we're from, but – you know, you, you shared the stage at Laurel Cove. You mentioned Laurel Cove Music Fest with the likes of, you know, Charles W. Godwin, John Miller, Cole Chaney, Tyler Smith, Tiffany Williams, Dalton Mills, Lance Rogers. I think Nicholas Jamerson was there. There's so many new and upcoming artists coming out of Appalachia with their own unique sounds. Do you think people are just starting to realize that Appalachia is pretty cool or it's just timing well i think you, you you've had some major success from three in particular and that's chris stapleton sturgill simpson and tyler childers and i think that those three have really paved the way for the rest of us or at least it's shined enough light on the area that the rest of us are starting to get some recognition too and people as people are stumbling across us and finding us and you know i got to meet a lot of cool guys I got to meet drayton farley and, and tony Logue, and got to meet cole cheney while we was there and you know, just solid earth people. They're as humble as, as you can be, and they're they're just good people. And I think when people come across that, because all of them in their own unique way just write songs that are about everyday life, about every, what everybody else goes through, and as people are discovering it, I think it's just, I think it's awesome that our area is just getting that much uh, light shined on it. You know, you've got, you just got, and it's got so much talent. People, you know, people say, there's something in the water in Kentucky. Well, no, not really. There's just not a whole lot to do. So you get bored, you <laughs> Most of the time you learn how to play you like yourself in a bedroom. You song. I mean, there's just so many, you know, <laughs> you got to find a creative outlet or else you'll go crazy. That's what yeah. I did anyway. Yeah. I know I mentioned in the, in the intro, your album was number eight on the billboard 
charts, the, the bluegrass charts, when it debuted. Were you surprised by that? Man, that blew my mind. I mean, I'm here to tell you. That blew my – I was – it blew my mind when I made the iTunes charts. And then, you know, we, we made it through charts. Then we got up to 11 on country. And then over the course of that week, we kind of fell off. And I was like, well, that was cool, you know, because you don't see a lot of people that do that, especially considering I've only really think that we've been doing this for the last three months because we've only been playing gigs since I started back playing music for the last two months. So to, to, to even get on iTunes was cool. And then me and my wife were out to eat supper one sunday evening and i got an email from billboard saying hey you're going to chart on tuesday on the bluegrass chart now I, I was like i couldn't even finish my supper i was i was so <laughs> excited you know what I, mean? I was like what really i mean that was so cool that was just a very cool experience yeah i was shocked to say the least that, that's that's putting it mildly i know on your debut album there's only five songs i think my favorite song on that is fishing hole i think it's about your grandfather but do you have a favorite song mm-hmm. on those five uh well that one's the most special uh, and i wrote that back in 2014 my papa fred he passed away in 2003 so and he died young really i think he was 59 when he passed away so i didn't get him he didn't get him very long but that song when i wrote it i mean it was one of those 15 or 20 minute songs and it was done and it's been very special to me ever since so as far as personal favorites that's probably my personal favorites as far as ones to play that i enjoyed just playing live is probably hard times because it kind of catches people off guard. I enjoy them all. Shoot, I'm, you know, I'm a songwriter, so they're all my babies, I guess, as people say. <laughs> hard, hard times got that turnaround where it's hard times in the beginning and they turn it in a positive yeah. way, right? Yeah. Neil and I both played college football. Where, where'd you play? Uh, Union College. I got offered to walk on. I don't really think that's an offer, but they wanted me to walk on at Auburn. I was like, and that's funny because I live about an hour from Auburn. I didn't want to go to Auburn as a walk-on because it was just too far away from home. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah. Fifteen years, years later living down here. That's but cool. yeah, I went to Union College, played two years, and ended up messing my shoulder up and ended up having to have two shoulder surgeries on it. So that kind of ended that for me. So I just worked from there on out. We ask all of our guests this, and and uh, Will's got a follow-up question to this, but uh, what's the first thing that comes to mind, comes to your mind, uh, when I say the word Appalachia? The mountains. That's what I miss the most living down here in the flatland. Yeah. I live in London still. Will lives in Ohio, and he always tells the story of when, when he's coming back to Kentucky, as soon as he goes across that bridge, it's like get chill. he gets chill bumps all over him because of the scene that you see, even mm-hmm. when you're coming in from that direction. You know, we ground our podcast on place and per- perspective as an Appalachia place is really important to us. We just wanted to ask you where you call home, what makes it home for you? What makes it unique? Uh, mom and dad's house on 92 is still home. So, you know, every trip that we go in that we're playing within probably within two or three hours of mom and dad's house, we stay there and then just drive to the gig from there. That's just home. It'll always be home. It's where I was raised, where I grew up. You know, it's uh, it's just a special place. Every time you get there, it just gives you kind of a sense of calm when you get there. So kind of yeah. grounds you a little bit. You mentioned covers earlier, and I've heard you play Anymore by Travis Tritt. Man, your version mm-hmm. of Anymore is outstanding. Like, it gives me I chills when I listen to it. Do you have do you have a favorite cover that you like to play? Uh, Yeah, it, it's a bluegrass cover. I My favorite cover to play is uh, Perfume Powder and Lead by Lonesome River Band, and that's one that I play at a lot every show. I play at every show. It doesn't matter if it's an all-original show. I will still throw that one in to the, to the mix. I'm just a – 
I love that song. I love a good killing song. You know, who don't? Really? <laughs> and, uh, True country music. It's, it's just a fun one to play, man. I just really yeah. enjoy it. I, I just really appreciate what you're doing. And uh, I know it's I know it's not easy. Like you said earlier, you are working a regular job and trying to do the music gig on the side. And, you know, I know that can be exhausting at times, but just know how proud us fellow Appalachians are of you and what you're doing. And we'll continue to follow you and anything we can do to help along the way, by all means. Yeah. We'll do it. Speaking of that, you know, you want to let our listeners know what you got. I know you mentioned festival of the red, but you also have the heritage heritage music festival, which I think Neil will definitely check out. It's coming to London. You're coming to London with Nicholas Jamerson, but you want to let our listeners know what you got coming up. Uh, yeah, so we got that. I can't remember. Is that October or November? October. I think it's October. Yeah, so you can get tickets for that. Yeah, I, I think it's a very limited seat, and I think it's only about 125 or something. So I know we're going to be in Whitesburg in August, the uh, first weekend of August, I think. But check out my website, timgoodmusic.com. We'll, we'll have all the shows up there. I've been very fortunate that I have uh, my buddy Jason Parton come along and, and kind of be my manager. Not kind of be, he is my manager. Uh, and he's been handling all the booking and stuff for me. So that's took a, that 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 was the part that I hated the hated the most was trying to book gigs. And so he's took that burden off of me and and, and running with it. So Tim, man, we, we greatly like Neil said, we greatly appreciate it. We appreciate you being on. Appreciate what you're doing, spreading the good word of Appalachia. We call it Appalachia Gospel on here. What we try to do every episode is just gas up Appalachia, which I think you're doing well. We appreciate it. Well, man, I appreciate you guys, and thank you for having me on. I'm telling those War Eagle folks where you're from. That's right. Go Big Blue. Uncle Charlie got fried last Saturday night Trying to steal copper from the power lines Cops showed up, told us how he died Weren't none of us a bit surprised Well, he's had hard times these last few years Cousin Red started smoking meth from a pipe All he could think about was his next high Started stealing everything he could see inside He got arrested last Tuesday night oh, he's Great interview time. with Mr. Good. Yes, sir. Always good to hear from local boys well, that are doing big things, man. I love, I love our Pineville connection and all the great things that have come from it. Tim Gooden's just another success story out of there. I wish he didn't have to leave the region, but I understand why he did, and hopefully he'll venture back there someday. Yeah, like you said, just another example of talent that is in the hills and hollers of Appalachia. Yeah, and I think with, uh, like we talked about earlier, Will, access to media has really been beneficial in, in Tim Gooden's career so far. I think it will continue to, to help local boys like himself throughout Appalachia. I think we've spoken about this before on the show, you know, we've always known about the talent that's in Appalachia, just no one else did. and and. Through this, like you mentioned, social media, like Tim was on TikTok, the other outlets, people can find out about this talent. You know, you can put your own stuff out there these days and show off your your you know God given talents. 
Yeah, obviously a lot of work goes into that. It's not just a click of a button and that easy, but you know, it is much easier, much more accessible uh, than it was in our day. I mean, you can tell by listening to our voices that obviously we would have been discovered if we had YouTube and, and those things back in the day, but uh, I'm glad Tim has utilized it and, uh, and, and found stardom from it. Great interview, Will. Looking forward to big things out of Tim. I'm sure this show will propel his career to the next level, and uh, I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah, looking forward to that next album that comes out. Yeah, Will, I definitely want to mention, get on timgoodenmusic.com and check out his uh, upcoming show dates. He's got several coming up soon, right around the corner next week, July 21st. He's going to be at the Bell County Fairgrounds. August 6th, he'll be in Wattsburg, Kentucky. Uh, September 24th will be in Vanceburg, Kentucky. You can see all this stuff uh, on his website again, Will. The one I'm looking forward to is October 21st here in London, Kentucky with Nicholas Jamerson at the Heritage Music Series. All my London folks that are listening, make sure you put that on your calendar, October 21st. That's a great music series y'all got there. Local music series has attracted some pretty decent talent. Yeah, absolutely. We got some great people working working on it in that industry, and uh, they're doing a really great job trying to promote London as much as possible. And uh, I'm really proud of them. All right, Neil, uh, I wanted to ask you right before we end the episode: Do you have a at Bez for us this week? Well, in my in my discussions throughout all of southeastern Kentucky. All the time I run across people putting new businesses in. And I just wanted to mention this just because I had this conversation. Langdon Shoup owns a piece of property here in London. He's getting ready to put in a uh, RV park for people that sounds like it's going to be pretty neat deal. I did want to mention that. But as far as a business that is established, I was hoping you had one for me. Yeah, Neil, I did want to mention one business this week. Since we just had the July July 4th holiday, you know, celebrating our independence, but also in a sense, you know, celebrating our military and their efforts. I wanted to mention this business. It's a pretty cool business in Appalachia. The Skirted, S-K-I-R-T-E-D, Skirted Soldier. It's a female veteran-owned operation specializing in hand-blended artisan tea. They source their products from member-owned cooperatives and CSAs, preferably the military-owned ones. They offer over 30 high-quality certified organic artisan blends. It's a pretty cool project there in Pennsylvania. They're members of the Homegrown by Heroes and the PA Veteran Farming Project, and they have products in 24 states and over 50 locations in Pennsylvania. I do also wanted to mention that they donate 10% of their sales to female veterans as they are female veterans themselves. Check out the website, www.skirtedsoldier.com. S-K-I-R-T-E-D-S-O-L-D-I-E-R. Well, I'm so happy you mentioned that. I just had their uh, their berry tea uh, just the other night, man. I tried it and uh, it's excellent. So uh, I would recommend it to, to anybody out there. So yeah, cool company doing great things for veteran, especially female veterans. Yeah, check them out. All right, Neil, great episode. We want to thank Tim Gooden again for being on and letting us play his music. I don't think we mentioned, but the music that we played throughout this episode as the opener and we'll close with one of his songs as well, but has all been original Tim Gooden music. Absolutely, Will. Great episode. Looking forward to the next one. All right, I guess we'll end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace.
Well, I think back to when I was younger And Pap would tell me, let's go down yonder To the fishing hole Well, I remember feeling all excited And the time when he started smiling Cause I forgot the fishing pole Said, son, don't you worry your little mind. We got some old cane poles. Those will work just fine. And he said, well, don't sweat the small stuff. Let it roll off your back. The time you waste, don't worry. Last time you can't get back. Life is too short to think about what you can't control So just leave your troubles at the fishing hole Stop by there again today It made me think of all the things That old man taught me Like how to bait a hook And always read the good book And don't ever lose your faith Yeah, I can hear him say well, don't sweat the small stuff Let it roll off your back The time you waste, don't worry Last time you can't get back Life is too short To think about what you can't control Just leave your troubles At the fishing hole Fishing home